This is Graphic Interventions. Hello, I'm Harriet Atkinson, a historian of art and design and the host of this podcast series, Graphic Interventions. In each episode, I interview one maker about one thing they've made, a poster, a banner, a zine, to discover why that thing came about, what it meant then and how it resonates now. My focus in this series of interviews is on how political conversations are initiated, enlivened and made visible through the graphic form. In this episode of Graphic Interventions, I meet banner maker Ed Hall. Ed has been making trade union and exhibition banners for 30 years. These are handmade, stitched, appliqued and often painted scenes. Ed started by introducing the particular banner that is the subject of our conversation. It's a banner made for Unite, which is a major trade union, for the South Yorkshire branch of Unite, their community branch. Community branches were set up. They're not necessarily people at work or traditionally in trade unions, but they've become members of Unite and become politically active in South Yorkshire. And I met them up in... Sheffield and began to talk about the banner. They were so proud of the slogan, Still the Enemy Within, which Margaret Thatcher had actually called the miners the enemy within. And thinking about it, people who were spending their working lives 2,000 foot underground getting coal for everyone, they're the last people you could call an enemy, but Anyway, she chose to do that, and they're very, very proud of this slogan. Please, can you say something about the references on the banner, both what they are and also the negotiation between your own interests and the interests of the members who commissioned this banner? The banner shows all sorts of references, mainly to the involvement of the National coal strike which ended up with the Battle of Orgreave and the collapse of deep mining the activities that went on so on the banner you see the men were on strike but the women were the ones who were organising going round the country raising the money so they are represented on the banner and every town Barnsley, Mexborough, Sheffield they all had women's groups supporting and raising money the centrepiece of the banner shows a sort of more recent development from this when the government wished to make huge cuts in welfare and public services and there were demonstrations to stop these welfare cuts and they included Asian women who joined these campaigns and you've got placards of different languages on the banner. The other one which was a victory was the anti-poll tax demonstrations across Britain, um, which resulted in the end of Margaret Thatcher and um, the collapse of the policy on poll tax. And the the last time poll tax was tried in 1350s, that collapsed as well. This is Blackheath I'm speaking from, and of course John Ball made his famous speech on Blackheath about when Adam delved and Eve span, who then was the gentleman. So I was very keen to have the poll tax there. Then you come to things that the Unite members of South Yorkshire were interested in. That was the Spanish Civil War, which most parts of Britain sent people to the war as part of the International Brigade, so that's there. The National Union of Mine Workers, that's a Roundel 
is there as well because although the NUM is a shadow of its former self, it's still a symbol of great pride and resistance. And then there's a torch of international trade unionism on the banner, which in some ways reflects the new Unite logo, which has a flame above the words Unite. It's a red banner because socialism has captured red as a colour for all sorts of reasons. And um, So how does the making process work? How, how much are you led by them and how much are they led by you? I produce sketches and send it up to them and they make tweaks and alterations and then slowly we get to an agreed design and that's how the banner got made. So I, although it's very traditionally designed, I'm really proud of it. What are the origins of this style of banner? Where do you see the influences for this tradition coming from? There's a famous book about the banners of the 1830s going on into the 19th century by John Gorman. And he says that if you ask someone to think about a trade union banner, they will think of a silk-woven banner made by a firm called Tootil and it's got swags and titles and centrepieces. And he says this came from fairground art of the 1830s. And if you had something going on inside a tent, you had to tempt people in by showing them what they might see. I, I take a completely different view, actually. I, when Napoleon established his position as Emperor of France and wanted to make France the world leader, he wanted to make France as grand as possible, and he employed two architects, Percier and Fontaine, who had actually been working for Louis XVIII, and, but he recruited them to create the empire style. The, I mean, it was so infectious. I mean, women were wearing the, the clothes that they were instrumental in designing, interior. Part of it was the swags and the mottos and the centrepieces, and I think when the trade unions became lawful and they began to make very expensive set-piece banners for their activities, I think they looked at what was then a very popular international style and just coloured it. When you put quotations from William Blake and Shelley, when you put those on banners, even Wordsworth in his early days were great fans of the changes that were taking place in Europe. I think it's that context which which fascinates me, you know, and that's why I like the... Although the design this South Yorkshire community branch is very traditional, I, I, I just like the, the tradition it's coming from. So how did you learn the, the making skills that you needed? I only used one stitch, so I didn't need to be... My first sewing machine I bought down in Lewisham and I was using it quite happily 40 minutes later. And I only used a chain stitch, so I didn't need to be expert in complicated um, sewing. Laying out, I found, pretty straightforward. And I, I just, it, it just sort of self-taught, really. I, I mean, I, you know, and that, that design tricks, if you like. I mean, if, if a banner has a border, it always looks better and... Most banners are symmetrical because they give a, the symmetry gives a power to them, and the title has to be at the top because otherwise, if it's obscured by people in a street 
situation, you know, if you don't know what the title is, it's a bit lost. And most trade unions or campaigns have quite good campaign slogans, so they usually go at the bottom as an anchor to it. And I've learned that it's good to have things, you know, on the left and the right, so you've got sort of bearers, if you like, for the main image, either their people or... Um, subsidiary kind of images yeah, so we, I, I think banners actually design themselves because once you begin to hear what the people, what the client if you like wants from it um, you're thinking in those kind of structural terms and the, the other thing is about I know there are incredibly witty and hurtful banners um, or placards and the best ones were in 68 in Paris but but it's not re and there are funny ones but they've usually got a serious point to them but there's no such thing as a jokey or a funny banner it thing life is too serious I'm at the serious end of things you know and you, you you can't make make light of somebody's employment or um you know the struggle for equality and it's not just not possible to to be funny about it is that do you think to do with them being used and reused they have a longevity i mean i'm working now for the communication workers union on a banner and i had no idea they said oh you did a great banner for us and i looked it up and it was 20 years ago and that 20 years has just gone through so they have a longevity i mean i noticed there was a demonstration in london last saturday there were banners of mine on this kill the bill I'd even forgotten I'd sort of made them what I've come to realize quite recently is that banners sort of set ideals far above the people who carry them including me all of us are flawed but a banner has got to really express the highest ideals you can think of it's very striking how much your work on banners is shaped by historical perspectives on protest and and on the examples of previous struggles. Why do you think taking a long view is important? I've been making banners quite a long time and I have met most of the grassroots and even the leadership of the most of the trade unions of Britain and their knowledge of industrial history is quite staggering. You know, people talk about, oh, we don't teach the right things in schools and all that. That isn't so, actually. They... One famous strike was the Taft Valley Rail Strike of 1910, when before that, owners could sue the union for loss of profits. And so unions were very reluctant to organise strikes because they would get saddled with the, the losses, the bosses had suffered. An Act of Parliament took place in after the Taft Valley strike, which made it impossible for owners to recover money from the trade unions. So they're very conscious of those kind of histories, and, they, and people had to struggle to get them. I mean, the, the same with the, you know, what the suffragettes had to go through to get the vote. Sylvia Pankhurst, Mary Lowndes, they were professional artists, they were making beautiful banners. And, I mean, to their amazing credit, they suspended all their political activity during the First World War, which they must have disagreed with, but they suspended all their activities for that period, which I... just as When they were on a roll, if you like, they were getting there and they had to stop it. 
I, I do think trade unionists and people interested in Labour history, any one of them could stand up in a lecture theatre and give a, a lecture on industrial history. Any one of cotton, coal, steel. And the importance is it, because although with sort of modern causes, and it's amazing, they, Black Lives Matter and Me Too, although these are very, very important and contemporary campaigns and causes, they all have their roots, really, in people just struggling for a fair society. And the first thing that had to be established was that people could join together legally and they could have demonstrations legally and they could meet and organise, raise money, have funds, which were outside the state and control. And I think that's one of the reasons that I love trade unions so much is because... As far as I can see, they're the only genuinely independent organisations in Britain. I mean, all other organisations have some, the BBC or the great museums, they all have sort of ties, they're always looking over their shoulders a bit. The trade unions don't really have to do that. And I think that's why the current Conservative government, if you look at many, many of their policies, are deliberately designed to discourage trade union membership because you can attack people individually. It's very hard to attack them as a, as a body. What do you think is the role of a banner today? And what are the particular issues that the enemy within was created to address? Banners arise because there's a need. People even think, hang on, we've, we've all got to go out on a demonstration on Saturday and we've got to have a banner because you can't have people just wandering through the streets of Sheffield and no-one knows what they're doing. So this one was really as a reaction to the austerity, you know, the, the sort of cuts being imposed on youth clubs, health services, support services for mothers and nurseries. It was getting right into the heart of societies. So the banner was produced to sort of highlight this and, and take part in demonstrations that were in South Yorkshire at the time, and I've seen the banner down in London as well many times. All a banner is really, is partly to give a morale boost to the members or the campaign that asked for it, but it's also to do with trying to influence the public because, I mean, some of these demonstrations are extremely well attended by the public and if you're standing by the side of the road and you're trying to catch their attention and sort of bring them onto your cause it was an anti-cuts banner that was the reason it was made it was there to celebrate trade union membership and it was there to advocate South Yorkshire so and I'm absolutely sure it, it did have a role in that because it was carried you know on several many demonstrations. It also was in the V&A all one summer and in magazines and newspapers so people could see the message there. I mean, that's the other thing that I think is important about a banner. Not now necessarily, but there was a point in time when I could go to any railway station bookstore and eventually find an image of one of my banners. And I, funnily enough, I had to give a talk in Manchester once, and that was one random day, and I went to Piccadilly Station in Manchester, and in the, eventually I found an image so I could mention that in the talk. So they're very ubiquitous. They're below the radar, 
they're not sort of celebrated. They're not like sort of Gilbert and George doing some exhibition at the White Cube or something. You know, they're not. They don't get anything like that. But they're everywhere. They're in the media. They're in the newspapers. They're in the magazine. I've even seen them in women's magazines and fashion magazines. They do get around, and the messages are there. When often, it's a message that otherwise would be almost. If you phoned up a newspaper editor and said you wanted to do publicity and an article on trade union membership, but the editor would just go to sleep on the phone. But if there's an image there and an event then they'll cover it, especially when politics gets up the sharp end. They can often encapsulate the whole message of what's going on. Do you have a perspective on how much a banner like The Enemy Within fits within a national tradition? Britain has this tradition of hugely visual banners in the 1830s and 40s. Either the function of a trade union, like a trade union official giving a family welfare or something, or a great Samson, a great biblical figure, is a centrepiece. They were professional centrepiece painters, and it's tragic that none of them are known today. There have been attempts to find out who they were, but they, Tootle and other companies, chose not to celebrate their artists. But that only happened in, in Britain. It never happened in... If you see a demonstration in France today, for instance, there'll just be all be text banners that they don't have centrepieces and scenes. At first sight, this is puzzling because the French were the great ones for heroic, romantic paintings, huge um, David and Gerigo, but they never sort of translated into banners. And the, the reasons that the British were... One is the British didn't really have a Catholic... By that time, they didn't have a Catholic tradition, so they might as well have images on banners because there was no competition with the churches because they weren't doing it, and I think they felt that was an opportunity. I think the other reason is that the way the trade unions developed, they were so proud. People had gone into cities and they were living sometimes in very difficult situations. I've never quite understood why the cities just didn't turn into just chaos and violence, but they didn't. They became extremely well-structured and beautiful places, Birmingham, Manchester. When the trade unions and the workers began to live together, go to the Methodist churches or organise their trade unions, I think they wanted something really beautiful to represent the achievement of coming off the land and forming these cities. Now, the need for imagery sort of developed from that kind of need. Your banners have often been shown in a gallery or museum context at the V&A, the Tate, the Venice Biennale and, and in many other galleries. What do you think about this? The V&A had an exhibition, Disobedient Objects, and they wanted this slogan in the exhibition, so the banner went in the exhibition, so that was a big um, thrill for me. The art world is interested in banners because they represent some elements of social history and that they artists like and they've always liked. But I, I do think that they can't be sort of taken for granted and then just abused, you know, they've got to be meaningful. That was Ed Hall talking about his banner, The Enemy Within. 
If you'd like to find out more about Ed's work, go to his website at www.edhallbanners.co.uk. In the next episode, I'll be meeting Ben from Subvertising Group, Protest Stencil. In the meantime, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Graphic Interventions, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you're listening. Graphic Interventions is made by Harriet Atkinson and funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council. (laughs) 